0: This is the craziest episode title we've had so far for an episode that is otherwise quite serious and touches on many issues pertaining to the Israel-Palestine situation. What does Elon Musk have to do with the conflict in the Middle East? And Vladimir Putin too?
1: (laughs) The Putin? bit is about an interesting nugget of news that I found. I mean, you know that Hamas has been supported by Russia, financially with weapons and so on, right? And that the relationship between Russia and Hamas is, well, not new. Putin first invited Hamas leaders to Moscow in 2006, and Hamas delegations have been visiting Moscow ever since.
0: Yes, Putin loves Hamas. They serve his geopolitical interests.
1: Well, the Hamas October 7 attack on Israel coincided with Putin's birthday. <laughs>
0: hmm. I didn't know that one. And what does Elon have to do with the Middle East conflict?
1: Well, whenever something horrible happens in the world, you can count on Elon to make it worse by allowing Russian propaganda and disinformation to flourish on X. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hello everyone, welcome to this week's dubious episode. I'm Tyler.
1: And I'm Sandra, and today we will talk about a number of very serious issues. We'll go through a short history of this decades-long conflict, and how did it all start? Then we'll discuss about the geopolitical implications of the Gaza-Israel war, how it helps Putin and China, how Iran's support for Hamas can turn this whole thing into a proxy war between the world's biggest powers, I mean, if it already hasn't, to be honest, and how the US responded, how the United Nations reacted, the numbers of innocent victims on either side, and I think most importantly, what we need to retain from all of this. Innocents were killed on each side, and Palestinians in Gaza need urgent humanitarian aid more aid. Hamas are a terrorist organization, but they do not represent the Palestinian people who have a right to exist, be safe, and raise their children. To quote Biden, because I feel like everybody agrees with this, Hamas does not stand for the Palestinians' rights to self-determination.
0: And we'll also talk about how Mossad, the Israeli intelligence services considered among the best in the world, dropped the ball on this October 7th attack by Hamas. And of course, we must address the disinformation on Elon's x.com Twitter whatever and the Putin birthday situation because this conflict in the Middle East is a heaven sent for Putin. We know Russia has been supporting Hamas by weapons through laundering illicit funds via a Moscow-based crypto exchange. The Wagner Group is rumored to have even trained Hamas. We have a lot of things to unpack this episode. Praise for a crazy ride.
1: Yes, and look, I am very aware that putting these issues together, you know, the war Elon and Putin is frankly kind of crazy. It sounds great, but that's how the last two weeks plus have been in terms of news and the vibe you get from online platforms. It's all crazy and tragic and just insane, basically. So we're just expressing that feeling. We mirror what's going on and how we feel in our episodes, and we try to give our listeners the best take on what's unfolding now.
0: So let's start with the serious stuff. It's worth mentioning that people everywhere have very strong views and tend to pick a side when it comes to this specific situation. Some support Israel unequivocally, citing the terrors inflicted by Hamas. They also put Hamas and the Palestinian people in the same category because Palestinians in Gaza elected Hamas as the ruling party in 2006, but collective punishment is not justified. I'm sorry, it's just not.
1: Yes, I agree. I mean, it's kind of a crazy analogy, but Look, America chose Trump too, but that doesn't mean that all Americans are right-wing neo-Nazi extremists like Trump's guys with tiki torches in Charlottesville, remember? The ones (laughs) chanting, yeah, the ones chanting, Jews will not replace us. I mean, we picked Trump too, we, not we, but, you know, America did. That doesn't mean we're all like that.
0: Are you sure you didn't vote for Trump?
1: A hundred (laughs) million percent.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I think that's a good way to look at the distinction between Hamas and the regular Palestinian people. And on the other side, we have those who are 100% supporting the Palestinian cause, even justifying the Hamas attacks. And these people are obviously wrong too.
1: A hundred percent wrong.
0: The situation is very nuanced. There's no black and white here. If you look at the history of the region and who did what and when, I think in the end no side is right and things are very complex, layered, 50 shades of gray and very volatile.
1: Agreed. And it's been like this for decades. That being said, one side has been suffering exponentially bigger human loss of life than the other side, and Amnesty International is drawing attention to war crimes committed against Palestinians. So let's get into it.
0: So this latest war began by the October 7th sneak attack. It was a multi-front attack, actually, from land, air, and sea, which on land included thousands of armed Hamas fighters breaching a border security fence and indiscriminately gunning down Israeli civilians and soldiers taken by surprise. We won't go into all the details of the air and sea attacks, but the point is, this was a well-planned attack, and there were victims from various countries killed and some taken hostage. There were young people at a music festival killed, for example. It was just a barbaric and horrific attack
1: and as we said october 7 is putin's birthday i don't think we should look too much into this or give it too much meaning but look iran backs hamas putin is friends with iran and this middle east conflict benefits putin just saying it was a nice present for putin we'll talk about this a little (laughs) bit later that's
0: true but back to the hamas attack somehow frankly i think this is one of the main questions nobody's really asking the media Mossad didn't see this attack coming.
1: Yes, it's very surprising that Mossad somehow, you know, Mossad being some say the best intelligence, you know, organization in the world. It's quite surprising that they dropped the ball so bad.
0: And after the attack, Israel declared war on the Gaza Strip. At least 1400 Israelis have been killed so far. Well, the Israeli military says 203 soldiers and civilians, including women and children, were taken to Gaza as hostages. More than 3,700 Palestinians in Gaza have been killed so far in air and artillery strikes carried out by the Israeli military in response.
1: So, I mean, it's hard to quantify this in any way, but we got to have some perspective. And it, it just seems that almost three times more Palestinians died already. And it's so bad. The whole thing is horrible. Think about those Israeli families, like just being in their homes, right? Having a normal day, and then they just get murdered and slaughtered in their homes. And then you have the innocent Palestinians killed in raids and bombs. and It's just insane
0: yeah and israel currently has imposed a total blockade on the territory denying it food fuel electricity water and other essentials at this very moment israel has threatened to erase hamas by total destruction of northern gaza the sheer decimation of human life could cost Tens of thousands of lives.
1: Yes, this is this is a conflict that is getting out of hand. I mean, it's it's been out of hand for a while now. But the point is, as we record this, the latest news we've got is that about 28 trucks of AIDS and, you know, food essential supplies, water have entered finally into Gaza through the Rafah crossing. And Israel's uh, land invasion is imminent into Gaza. That's, that's what we know right now.
0: Right. And look, I think we need to touch on the origins of this conflict. Violence in this region has been ongoing, pretty much uninterrupted since 1948. But it is essential we actually understand how it all devolved and how this region became so war ravaged. How did this conflict start?
1: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.
0: You know what I always say, right? You can't ignore your trauma and hope it disappears. The only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us
1: fireballs, spitballs, too many balls, and when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best, and it affects your interactions with the people you care about, so how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, you be friends, I'm a better help happy customer, been using their services since way before we even started this podcast.
0: I can attest to the fact that Sandra is now, let's say, a much lovelier person (laughs) to be around.
1: (laughs) Oh, shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues.
0: If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off your first month if you sign up at BetterHelp.com Dubious.
1: Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you.
0: Visit BetterHelp.com/dubious to get 10% off your first month, or click the link in the episode notes.
1: That's BetterHelp, hel dubious Well, you won't be surprised to find out that the whole affair started with the British, of course. I mean, I guess they were well-intended by, frankly, looking at the results, does it matter? After the defeat of the Ottoman Empire in World War I, the Ottomans had ruled that part of the Middle East before that, right? Britain took control of the area known as Palestine. Before this, the land was inhabited by a Jewish minority and an Arab majority, as well as other, you know, smaller ethnic groups. And everyone was living in peace. Nobody had any issues people got along things were fine
0: what you're saying is that this land was inhabited by palestinians mostly as in it was their land before 1948
1: Yes, I mean, it's not me saying that, it's history, yes, this was Palestinian land. But yes, frankly, yes, it was Arab people, Palestinians, they lived there, and regardless, the small Jewish communities that existed and lived among Palestinians, they got along very well with the majority, right? There were no fights, no tension. there was no war, everybody was doing okay, but... That ended when the international community gave the United Kingdom the task of establishing a national home in Palestine for Jewish people. And this stemmed from the Balfour Declaration of 1917, a pledge made by then Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour to Britain's Jewish community. The declaration was enshrined in the British mandate over Palestine and endorsed by the newly created League of Nations, which was the predecessors of the United Nations in 1922. That's when that happened.
0: So the UK and the League of Nations basically decided to give land that wasn't theirs to give to jewish people
1: in a nutshell in a very simplistic yes if you look yes the answer is yes and, <laughs> and think about it like what could go wrong so you know this is where all the red flags are up and my dubimeter alarms go off it's kind of crazy if you look back i don't know how this was all thought out but Anyways, in 1947, the United Nations voted for Palestine to be split into separate Jewish and Arab states, with Jerusalem becoming an international city. The plan called for 62% of the land to be allocated to the Jewish state despite the Palestinian Arab population numbering twice the Jewish population. Obviously, guess what followed? Tensions escalated. I mean, first off, it's the religious component of it all. Asking Jewish people and Muslims to share Jerusalem, which has so much, you know, significance for each of these people. It's crazy. And then it's the territorial component because the Palestinians felt they've been robbed of their rightful land and right to self-determination. So a region that was okay and where everyone was getting along previously now was in turmoil. And as soon as the proverbial started hitting the fan guess what the united kingdom did
0: they pulled out
1: Yes! Britain withdrew in 1948 and Jewish leaders declared the creation of the State of Israel. It was intended to be a safe haven for Jews fleeing persecution, as well as a national homeland for Jewish people in general. And fighting between Jewish and Arab militias had been intensifying for months, and obviously the day after Israel declared statehood, war broke out. And hundreds of thousands of Palestinians fled or were forced out of their homes in what they call Al Nakba, or the catastrophe. And by the time the fighting ended in a ceasefire the following year in 1949, Israel controlled most of the territory. Because there was never a peace agreement signed, there were more wars and fighting in the following decades.
0: In the Six-Day War in 1967, Israel occupied East Jerusalem and the West Bank as well as most of the Syrian Golan Heights, Gaza, and the Egyptian Sinai Peninsula. They eventually gave back Egypt's Sinai to the Egyptians, though. Most Palestinian refugees and their descendants live in Gaza and the West Bank, as well as in neighboring Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon.
1: There are generations of Palestinians living in those camps. Like you can find the grandfather, the children, and the uh, grandchildren all living, born in those refugee camps. It's, it's, horrible. But neither they nor their descendants have been allowed by Israel to return to their homes. Israel's position is that the return of the Palestinians would overwhelm the country and threaten its existence as a Jewish state. And this is how this decade-long conflict in the region started. There's so much more to the history of what followed, but frankly, we would need 20 podcasts to go through it all to get to the recent events.
0: Yeah, it's just a complex catastrophe, really, with no clear solution. Israel still occupies the West Bank and claims the whole of Jerusalem as its capital, while the Palestinians claim East Jerusalem as the capital of a hoped-for future Palestinian state. The U.S. is one of only a handful of countries to recognize the city as Israel's capital and Trump moved our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. In the past 50 years, Israel has built settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem where more than 700,000 Israelis now live.
1: Yes, and look, settlements are illegal under international law by the way that's the position of the united nations security council and the uk government among others although israel disagrees obviously now these are the facts they're irrefutable and historically accurate and they led to what is happening today and to this destabilizing conflict in the region that no diplomats and no international organizations can you know seem to be able to solve it's a gordian knot in the pandora's box at the same time and the situation with gaza itself is so so complicated
0: and real fast about gaza gaza is a narrow strip of land sandwiched between israel and the mediterranean sea but with a short southern border with egypt just 41 kilometers long and 10 kilometers wide it has more than 2 million inhabitants and is one of the most densely populated places on earth In the wake of the 1948-49 war, Gaza was occupied by Egypt for 19 years. Israel then occupied Gaza in the 1967 war and stayed until 2005, during that time building Jewish settlements. Israel withdrew its troops and settlers in 2005, though it retained control over its airspace, shared border, and shoreline. The United Nations still considers the territory to be occupied by Israel.
1: Now, here's the problem with Gaza, though. Gaza is ruled by Hamas, an Islamist group which is committed to the destruction of Israel, basically, and is designated as a terrorist group by the UK and many other countries because they are a terrorist group, okay? And sadly, Hamas warned the Palestinians last elections in 2006, and the people of Gaza wanted Hamas to lead them. And since then, Hamas seized complete control over Gaza by ousting the rival Fatah movement of the West Bank-based President Mahmoud Abbas. So basically, the people of Gaza have no other party now or any other political choice, right? They made that mistake, but now they have no way of going back. And I don't think Palestinians actually voted for Hamas because they love the violence. I think the desperation and frustration led them to this stupid, stupid decision, and now they can't fix it. Nevertheless, the consequences are devastating for them.
0: So let's keep this simple. Why are Palestinians and Israelis fighting? What are the issues concretely?
1: Well, there are several, and this is an oversimplified answer, but basically, it's what should happen to Palestinian refugees, right, living in all these camps, whether Jewish settlements in the occupied West Bank should stay or be removed, whether the two sides should share Jerusalem, and probably the most important and trickiest of all, whether a Palestinian state should be creating alongside Israel the two-state solution, which is, in my opinion, you know, the only solution
0: right and efforts have been made over time to try and fix things bill clinton's secret talks and the oslo accords come to mind a negotiated peace did seem possible at times a series of talks in norway became the oslo peace process with the landmark ceremony on the white house lawn in 1993 presided over by president clinton in a historic moment the palestinians recognized the state of israel and israel recognized its historical enemy the Palestinian Liberation Organization, PLO, as the sole representative of the Palestinian people. A self-governing Palestinian authority was set up.
1: Yes, and things look promising, really, but of course. Frankly, guess who messed this one up? Then-Opposition leader Benjamin Netanyahu, current Prime Minister of Israel, decided to call the Oslo Accords a mortal threat to Israel. Obviously, <laughs> this didn't go well. Furthermore, while Israel initially seemed amenable to a long-term solution of cooperation, or at least, you know, tolerance, right? Let's get along, at least. Instead of following through with that, they accelerated their project to settle Israelis in the occupied Palestinian territories, so they increased the illegal settlements on Palestinian land. Now, around this time is when Hamas was born, so this was the backdrop, right? Are we surprised? No, we are not. Are Hamas right to do what they did on October 7? F*** no. They are terrorists and under any circumstances and in no context can that be right. But is it surprising? No, not really. And even then, look, in the context of the Oslo Accords, Hamas, because they are radicalized terrorists, sent suicide bombers to kill people in Israel and wreck the chances of a deal because they felt that the Israelis were not serious about the deal. And again, it all snowballed into a massive cluster.
0: The atmosphere in Israel turned ugly, culminating in Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin's assassination by a Jewish extremist on November 4th, 1995. The murderer was an extremist combating the potential of peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis. In the 2000s, attempts were made to revive the peace process, including in 2003 when a roadmap was devised by world powers with the ultimate goal of a two-state solution, but this was never implemented. Peace efforts finally stopped in 2014 when talks failed between the Israelis and Palestinians in Washington.
1: Yes, and since 2008 up to 2020, uh, the number of deaths documented by the United Nations on each side is as follows Israeli deaths, 251, Palestinian deaths, 5,590. Now, the Israelis said that Palestinians want the final solution for the people of Israel. I mean, There are deep resentments. These resentments go back decades. These people don't like each other, but I wouldn't go, I mean, leaving any subjective view or anything, I'll just say that the numbers, which are from the United Nations, do not indicate that's what the Palestinians want. Some might even say it looks like it's the other way around.
0: It's such a difficult topic to conceptualize. Jewish families to this day are still overcoming the horrors inflicted upon them by the Holocaust, And there's been a notable rise in neo-nazism and anti-semitism by the aggressive right-wing extremists. Simultaneously, there are many left-wing protests screaming anti-semitic slurs in response this very week. They've been effectively looking for a safe place to call home, build a strong state, and maintain a safe and secure society. Yet, this does not greenlight the attacks they've been launching in Gaza and the West Bank.
1: Agreed. It's all harrowing and very heartbreaking. And at the end of the day, what I think matters is that people on both sides continue to be killed and the violence must stop. I mean... Look, this year alone, 2023, has been the deadliest year on record for Palestinians in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem since 2005. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict has killed over 200 Palestinians and nearly 30 Israelis so far just this year. And this was like before this latest war, And this surpasses last year's annual figures, according to the United Nations. The death toll in Gaza at this point stands at 3,578 killed, while 13,000, over 13,000 people, have been wounded. And in Israel, at least 1,400 people have been killed and 3,800 injured. So it's just bad.
0: This conflict is threatening to destabilize the entire region. It is dangerous because, look, we have Hamas, who is backed by Iran. We've known this for years, in fact in 2020 the u.s state department reported that iran has provided more than hundred million dollars annually to hamas and palestinian islamic jihad hamas has used iranian support to launch several wars against israel from its base in gaza including in 2008 2009 2014 and 2021. the iranian regime has literally been chanting death to america death to israel and celebrated the attacks on october 7th with literal fireworks And Iran is in good relations with Russia and China.
1: Yes, and Russia's main foreign policy goal right now is to distract the world from its ongoing invasion and atrocities in Ukraine. Specifically, Moscow is pushing for an end to US military assistance to Ukraine, which is hanging by a thin thread in Congress. So the crisis in Israel is perfect for Putin. While there is no clear evidence that Russian leaders knew about the Hamas attacks in advance, I mean, the Kremlin is working hard to take advantage of the situation. Let's, let's say it like it is.
0: Russia has stepped up its support for Hamas diplomatically and in the propaganda war. It's also seizing the opportunity to ramp up its violence in Ukraine while the world is distracted. On October 8th, the senior Hamas official praised Russia's assistance in an interview with Russia Today, a state-controlled media outlet.
1: And China is not mad either, because look, we've been giving Israel billions every year since 1999, when the U.S. government signed a memorandum of understanding through which it committed to providing Israel with at least $2.6 billion in military aid annually for the following 10 years. And then in 2009, the annual amount was raised to $3 billion, and in 2019, the amount was raised again, now standing at a minimum of $3.8 billion that U.S. is committing to providing Israel each year and on top of this there are other types of support we offer you know like intelligence and so on those cost money too in the end plus this just past week biden's security funding request to congress included an extra 14 billion for israel 61 billion for ukraine and 2 billion for taiwan and just to make this clear it is essential these funds are approved and that they are used for what They they go go where they're needed. Taiwan is the key to United States securing the future on all levels, economy, technology, everything. I won't get into it now because we need a separate episode for this, but it's all about AI and the microchip fabs in Taiwan, and we must keep Taiwan free from Chinese control.
0: Are you quoting Vladimir Putin here, (laughs) (laughs) who controls AI, controls the future, right? Because AI needs specialized microprocessors and Taiwan is the world's number one producer of microchips.
1: Exactly. I mean, look, Putin is evil, not stupid. I guess the point is, with money going to all these places where we have strategic vital interests, and now with the extra billions for Israel, and also I think a hundred million for humanitarian aid for Palestine, chances are there might be less to give to Ukraine, less for containing China's influence in the Indo Pacific and so on. So this works wonderfully for Putin. Also, for Xi Jinping, for China, both countries are adversaries of the United States and they stand to gain. And this is why when I hear some Some people complaining, oh, more money to Taiwan and Ukraine while we are struggling here in the US. I kind of, I I get upset because look, if you think you're struggling now, just wait to see the, the unimaginable levels of struggle that you'll endure if Putin gets Ukraine and if China gets control over Taiwan. I don't know why it's so hard to understand that we don't live in a bubble. The world's economies are connected and economic regions and nations are interdependent. We're talking about uh, supply chain. We're talking about, you know, in Ukraine's case, especially we have grains. As far as I'm concerned, there is only one answer that U.S. could have in this situation. Support Israel as we've been doing. That's our foreign policy it's the only solution for us. We, we have no other way. And also, we need to work to support Palestinians with aid and whatever things necessary, diplomatic efforts, back channel talks, to end this war.
0: Yeah, I support and yet am against both sides in this. From a U.S. foreign policy, we have to stand with Israel. But from a human point of view, I just want everyone to stop killing, stop the bombings, stop the hostages, stop killing children and let people live where they will. It's just a unique and complex situation.
1: Right, it is. But look, Biden and uh, Blinken, the Secretary of State, are doing what is best for U.S. We cannot take any other side in this. And while we are trying to help with humanitarian aid and so on, as official foreign policy, this is it. And I'm 100% supportive of this strategy, because frankly, it's the only one that makes sense in this complicated geopolitical chessboard. We must stand behind Israel, end of story. That being said, the State Department is working with the United Nations to help Palestine at the same time, send aid, maybe negotiate a ceasefire. Like we said, our diplomats are turning their phones red and back-channeling and so on. So, you know, and now with the help of, of Qatar, some of the hostages, two American hostages have been released. And we are working all all our allies in the Middle East, we are doing whatever we can, this is in a way a proxy war, at least ideologically, between democracies and autocracies. It kind of explains why the United States and Russia vetoed and abstained, respectively, the Securities Council resolution for humanitarian help for Gaza. On our end, that veto was a way of putting extra, extra pressure on Hamas by getting regular Palestinians to put pressure on them right so officially we stand with israel but we also at the same time allocated 100 million for palestinians in gaza and the west bank which look we could do a little better i feel like that amount is a little low but at the end of the day israel is getting 3.8 billion each year and now biden asks for an extra 14 billion for israel so i feel like palestine gets just like i don't know how to call it like rocket change. It's like pennies. So we should do better in this respect. But as I said, as far as foreign policy, we have no option, you know, than to support Israel. And part of this money we're giving them will be used for repairs to their Iron Dome, which is this sophisticated uh, and mobile all-weather air defense system designed to intercept and destroy Hamas's short-range rockets. So basically, it's protecting Israel's populated areas. This is it for us. Like, we don't have a lot of wiggle room here. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: Right. Plus, look, it's Hamas holding, at least at the time of this recording, American hostages. While our stance is to value human life, we certainly do not stand with Hamas and hostage taking.
1: I mean, of course not. We, I mean, that's implied. We shouldn't even have to actually say that. But wait, uh, I wanted to ask, do we know if Russia is actually helping Hamas directly with weapons, for example? What do we know about that?
0: Well, Russia's real level of actual military support to Hamas is hard to quantify, but there are several telltale signs. Baraka, the Hamas leader who gave that interview to Russia today, said that Hamas possessed Russian licenses to produce the Kalashnikov rifles and ammunition, and that these were the actual AKs its terrorists used in the assault on October 7th. Ukrainian officials have claimed that Russia's mercenary firm Wagner helped train the Hamas soldiers.
1: Oh, I totally believe that. I mean, fits Wagner's modus operandi to a T. (laughs) It
0: does, and it seems (laughs) that Hamas is laundering illicit funds through a Moscow-based crypto exchange. Officially, these reports of direct Russian military support for Hamas remain unconfirmed by U.S. officials, so...
1: They're probably true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the military collaboration between Russia and Iran and Ukraine also benefited Hamas. Iranian and Russian cooperation on armed drones has skyrocketed during the Ukraine war. Now, Hamas is using similar drones against Israeli targets in new ways.
1: And on top of that, Moscow has turned its massive propaganda and foreign influence operation into a pro-Hamas, anti-Western disinformation machine. Even before the war, Russian media was pushing this idea that United States weapons for Ukraine have somehow ended up in the hands of terrorists plotting against Israel. And after the attack, there were all these pro-Russia videos of murky origins circulating online.
0: You should have said musky origins. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, so all these shady videos flooded the online space accusing Ukraine, I mean, this is crazy, accusing Ukraine of arming Hamas. And they were disguised as fake BBC reports. And by online space, I mostly mean Twitter X, right? So these videos initially popped on Russian social media, and obviously then they were everywhere on Twitter. X. Ah, I can't get used to saying X. And I stumbled across a few of them, and the first time I saw one, just for a second, I was like, wow i mean for a second my brain because you see the layout you see the design, you see the logo the bbc logo you see the even the text on the on the video was exactly like how bbc's uh, text is on this video so it was very very confusing and look as we said i mean elon musk is doing nothing to moderate and protect users from such grave disinformation he lets these posts gain traction and go viral
0: This information on both sides was amplified by X. First, there was the unsubstantiated BS about decapitated babies, that Hamas decapitated newborns during their initial attack on October 7th, and this claim was supported by Israeli officials immediately, which led to an entire fiasco. The White House press secretary had to walk back President Biden's claims that he saw children beheaded by Hamas, saying his comments were based on news reports and claims of Israeli officials. And it all got amplified on X. Then there was the situation with the deadly explosion at the Al-Ali Arab Hospital in Gaza. Initial reports online, especially X, claimed it was Israel who bombed the hospital on purpose, killing and injuring sick people, many children and women, and so on. As it turned out, Hamas fired the rockets at Israel. Videos analyzed by the Associated Press showed one veering off course, breaking up in the air before crashing to the ground. Seconds later, the video showed a large explosion in the same area. That was a self-inflicted, unintentional
1: tragedy. I mean, the situation got so bad on X in relation to the Hamas-Israel war that the European Union sent a letter to Musk asking him to take action. The European Commission made like a formal, legally binding request for information from Elon Musk's ex over its handling of hate speech, misinformation, and violent terrorist content related to the war.
0: And the EU warned they'll take action against X in Europe, and we'll see what happens next. So far, I'm not seeing any changes on X or Twitter.
1: Yes, X has been a cesspool for fake content, clips, old videos, propaganda, and bloody gory stuff without warning labels since Hamas attacked Israel. And it continues unabated. The Israeli ambassador to the United States also asked Elon Musk to take action, but frankly, Elon does not seem to give a
0: Yeah, he's unfazed. This is what he responded to the European Commission. Our policy is that everything is open source and transparent, an approach that I know the EU supports. Please list the violations that you allude to on X so that the public can see them. Merci beaucoup.
1: I'll try to refrain and not go nuclear here, but (laughs) that thank you very much in French, that merci beaucoup at the end, mocking them. I mean, what the hell? And look, dear Elon, Everything that exists on the internet, in printed books, papers, etc., is open source. Open source does not mean transparency. Open source means anyone can see that information, but it doesn't mean the information is real. You can't be transparent if the information is fake, you f- Idiot! Oh my god, I mean, even his reply is disinformation, right? He's trying to kind of put this uh, equality sign between open source and transparency, implying that text is just telling things as they are. And that is simply wrong.
0: Sandra, do you need a zen moment?
1: Yes, please give me the zen jingle. There we go. Let's take a deep breath in, and then exhale. Okay, I feel better. Let's move on. (laughs) Okay,
0: Is there more about Elon here?
1: Yes, I have a bit more about X. There's a very good article in Wired. It's entitled, Elon Musk is posting his way through the Israel-Hamas war. And the subtitle is, X's trust and safety team says it's working to remove false information related to the Israel-Hamas war. Meanwhile, Elon Musk is sharing conspiracies and chatting with QAnon promoters. So I recommend this one to our listeners, but what I wanted to get to is data.
0: A NewsGuard analysis shared with Adweek found that X's verified users who are required to pay a fee for the blue check promoted 74% of the platform's most viral false claims related to the ongoing war.
1: Why am I not surprised? I'll be honest, look, uh, there are people and pages that are verified on x because if you're not nobody sees your posts anymore it's like you don't exist on twitter and there are people who spent years you know building a following and they have their community and they love that community and now that community doesn't see what they're posting because the algorithm only kind of like pushes your posts or promotes them even to the people that follow you if you're verified so i know many good accounts who pay for the verification checkmark. I think it's a good distinction to make here that a checkmark does not necessarily mean oh that's a bad account. We just have to really be careful who we follow. Anyway, our a dubious pod account is not verified, so follow us. And also before we move on to some very interesting stuff about propaganda in the Hamas Israeli conflict, let's remind our listeners about our ad free episode styler. Speaking
0: of propaganda. <laughs>
1: I don't think that's a good take on this, but but <laughs> go on. We're not doing propaganda. We are actually not lying to anyone and we're offering ad-free episodes. That's a good thing.
0: Dear listeners, you can claim all our episodes ad-free if you become patrons. This is the simplest way you can support Dubious.
1: Yes, Dubi friends. As you know, we are an independent podcast. We have no editors, sound designers, researchers, and so on. There's no team, so to speak. I mean, it is, but it's just me and Tyler and we do our best every week to come up with interesting content and you know good stories in our free time on nights and weekends and sometimes even during work hours <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm telling you if you get me fired I will come and live in your house rent free you'll have to adopt me I told you to stop saying that
1: we've already said it so many times everyone knows so including your boss I, I <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll set the settlement in your house you're <laughs> Dear listeners, if you want to support us, please become a patron on dubiouspod.com or by clicking the link in the episode notes right here in the app you're listening to us in.
1: Right, that's it. Now, look, Russian officials and propaganda outlets have unanimously blamed the United States for the current violence in Israel, which is like rich, if you ask me, and pointed to Washington's attention on Ukraine to explain the United States government's supposed neglect of rising Middle East tensions. What Elon is doing with this uh, BS approach on Twitter of allowing disinformation to flourish plays exactly into Putin's plans. A report by the Institute for the Study of War, a Washington think tank, says, these Kremlin narratives target Western audiences to drive a wedge in military support for Ukraine, seek to demoralize Ukrainian society by claiming Ukraine will lose international support and intend to reassure Russian domestic audiences that the international society will ignore Ukraine's war effort.
0: As we said, the relationship between Russia and Hamas is not new. Putin first invited Hamas leaders to Moscow in 2006 and Hamas delegations have been visiting Moscow ever since. Russia has never declared Hamas to be a terrorist organization and has long taken a pro-Palestinian stance diplomatically. But in reality, Putin does not care about the Palestinian people. Let's just make that very clear. He just loves Hamas, not the Palestinians, because Hamas is a good instrument he can utilize in the Middle East. At the expense of the innocent Palestinian families who have been bombed and massacred in never-ending strikes, and at the expense of the innocent Israelis killed by Hamas.
1: Right, exactly. But with this new conflict, the recent trend of cordial, you know, Almost business-like uh, relations between Russia and Israel is done. That's all over, right? Israel is not overtly helping Ukraine because, you know, it needed Russia's uh, acquiescence to strike targets inside Syria. Now, Russia is fully committed to helping Hamas and Iran, particularly in the diplomatic area.
0: This is a quote by Putin. I think that many people will agree with me that this is a vivid example of the failure of United States policy in the Middle East.
1: I strongly disagree, our diplomats are the very f-ing best.
0: Putin's focus of blame on the United States rather than the terrorists shows his hand, but I don't think he's trying to hide it anyway. His priority is not solving the crisis, but rather incorporating it into his greater war against the West.
1: Agreed a hundred percent. Like, it is vital to recognize that Russia, Iran, and Hamas are all working together against the United States, Europe, Ukraine, and Israel. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said in a speech to NATO after the Gaza-Israel war broke, the only difference is that there is a terrorist organization that attacked Israel, and here is a terrorist state that attacked Ukraine.
0: As for Biden's request for new emergency funding for both Israel and Ukraine, I'm telling you, Congress must approve both parts of the package and quickly. And the Taiwan and southern border one. If the United States abandons Ukraine by cutting off aid, Putin's strategy will have succeeded. That's all there is to it really. Now let's briefly discuss Mossad and their surprising failure to prevent or at least give their border soldiers a heads up on the October 7th Hamas attack. Even a 10-minute warning would have made a huge difference, I think.
1: Actually, uh, the New York Times wrote that Israeli intelligence did issue a specific warning to border guards immediately before the attack, flagging a surge in activity. But those warnings went unheeded for unclear reasons.
0: Mm, It could be because they get so many warnings every day, which they do simply because they're basically always at war, that they might have just ignored or minimalized the importance of this specific warning.
1: Either way, Hamas pulled off a complex, multi-front assault on October 7th, the kind of, you know, coordinated attack that takes months to plan and execute, okay? This was no easy feat. Moreover, tens, if not hundreds of Hamas militants were involved in the combination of, you know, like air, land, sea, and rocket assault. And all of this, to me, suggests that the circle of knowledge right? was quite extensive. So it wasn't just, let's say, I don't know, five people at the top of Hamas who knew. You need hundreds of people to pull this off. So when a lot of people know a lot of information, there is a big chance that other people find out. Like, it's, it's it's hard to keep a secret between two people, let's put it that way. Now imagine 500 people. And Tehran helped plan and fund this whole thing, according to the Wall Street Journal, with meetings taking place in Beirut, which means, again, the circle of knowledge contained at least three locations. And frankly, the situation appears to be a massive, massive intelligence failure for Mossad. But look, even the best may make mistakes, and it's going to take a thorough internal investigation, thorough talks with all the analysts who are tasked on these issues, so a look at all sorts of products they put out and so on. But I think they'll figure it out and learn from it.
0: In the meantime, there are some crazy conspiracy theories circulating online. None have any base in reality. We must make that clear. But the most prevalent conspiracy theories is that Mossad allowed this attack to happen so that they can have an excuse to just level Gaza and end Hamas.
1: I do not entertain that idea at all. I mean, it would be insane. Nope, I do not buy that. There is no evidence, proof or shred of proof that that's the case. So let's just get back to the serious stuff.
0: Right. So in the meantime, as we are recording this episode, the Israel-Gaza conflict is ongoing. Only 20 trucks of humanitarian aid managed to pass through the Rafah crossing from Egypt. On a regular day, like before this war, 400 trucks would go through, and regular Palestinians are without water, food, and electricity, being killed and injured in strikes. Israel pounded the Gaza Strip with airstrikes, including in the south, where Palestinians were told to take refuge and that they'll be safe there.
1: That's horrific. I think that was one of the instances declared as a war crime by Amnesty International. You can't bomb civilians like that after you tell them, like, okay, that's a safe location, go there.
0: And the Israeli defense minister ordered ground troops to prepare to see Gaza from the inside. Though he didn't indicate when the ground assault would begin, but we're expecting that to unfold at any moment. Hamas is still keeping hostages, fighting and causing more loss of human life, doing... Well, what terrorists do?
1: So in a nutshell, the situation is horrendous. And while I'm hoping for this war to end soon, I'm not sure that will happen. There's a reason why this Middle East conflict has been ongoing for literally over 70 years. And I don't know if, when and how it will end unless each party understands that, you know, a a two state solution is probably the only solution that would even remotely get close to. To working for each side now before we wrap this up i'd like to recommend two documentaries to our listeners a world not ours and born in gaza both on netflix i watched them yesterday and let me tell you it was not wasted time
0: well this is it that's all we've got we are at dubious pod on all social media thank you for listening and we'll see you next week
1: we love you to be friends and don't forget stay dubious